Amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for being here today. Give God a big hand, would you? What a great God he is. We're glad to be able to be in his house and worship him today. I read about this man who, in route to work every day, he would pass through a city park. And every single day, there was this old codger, this old man sitting on a park bench. The businessman didn't know it, but this, this old man was, was really an illegal bookie, all right? Uh, the, the businessman just thought he was destitute, thought he was homeless, and, and really felt sorry for him. So one day, with a surge of compassion, he stopped and handed the, the old man on the bench a, an envelope, and it had $10 in it, and a little note that said, never despair. Now, what a great, compassionate thing to do. Never despair. Isn't that wonderful? What what a heartfelt message. Never despair. Well, the next day, as the businessman was walking through the park, uh, that old codger handed him an envelope. It had $60 in it. And the businessman was bewildered. He said, said, what is this? And, And the old man said, never despair was in the money paying six to one in the second race. Well, here, let me tell you, we never lose when we make up our minds to never despair. That was Paul's attitude, and Paul rode that horse every single day of his life, and it never failed him. And it's a message that we still need to hear in our life and for our labor as Christians. That's one of the reasons the Lord gave us the book of 2 Corinthians. In fact, 2 Corinthians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. This is, in essence, a 13-chapter memoir on living with stress and pressure from a Christian's point of view. How many of you this past week felt a little bit of stress? Anybody? Come on. Pressure? Huh? Anybody? Well, let me tell you, 2 Corinthians is for you. One of the richest chapters is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And at the very center of that chapter is verse number 7. Today I'd like for us to look at this little verse and kind of dissect it and also look at its implication within the chapter. Here's what 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says. But we have this, what's the word? Treasure. Man, that's already good stuff, isn't it? We have this treasure in jars of clay. Some translations use the word earthen vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Well, As I read that verse, there are three words that that just kind of leap off the page and speak to my heart, and I believe there are three corresponding attitudes that go with these words. For example, the first word that I see there is is the word treasure. We have this treasure, and since we have this treasure, we ought to be happy. So let me see some happy out there, right? Put on your happy face. We have treasure, therefore we can be happy. The second word is the word clay. Jars of clay. And because we are jars of clay, we should be humble. But the last word is power. God's all-surpassing power. And because we have a hold of that power, because that power is inside of us, we have hope. (laughs) Come on, people. Come on. Y'all are going to have to do better than this, all right? Because of this verse, we can be happy. We can stay humble, and we can have hope. 
Amen? That's my sermon. Uh, let me spend a little time talking about these things. First of all, it says that we have treasure. In fact, the verse begins, but we have this treasure. I could condense that down and say, we have this treasure. I could even condense it further down to say, we have treasure. We possess something that is very valuable. In fact, as believers, we are very wealthy people. The Greek word that Paul uses to describe treasure here originally meant a room in which treasure was kept. But later on, the, the word changed to describe the treasure that was actually inside of the room. This word is used numerous times in the Bible. In fact, Matthew, in his gospel, used it more than any other gospel writer. After all, Matthew was a tax collector, and I think he always looked at things through the grid of a treasury. For example, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave a series of analogies as to what the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus would say the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the kingdom of heaven is like that. And in chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again, and then with joy he sold everything that he had so that he could buy that field. Well, in biblical times, there were no banks or depositories. And so if somebody wanted to, to put their money aside or save their money, they would often bury it. They would bury it in the ground or put it in a cave. Sometimes they would forget where they buried it. <laughs> Have you ever forgotten where you put something? Yeah. Have you? Well, it happened all the time in biblical days. They would forget where they buried their treasure, either because they, they grew old or had dementia or they moved away or the landmarks changed. They would forget where the treasure was hidden, and they would die, and the treasure would remain hidden. I love hearing stories about hidden treasure. Don't you? Have I connected with you yet today? Come on. Anybody out there love stories of hidden treasure? Man, man, I love them. I heard a story not long ago, true story, about a man who lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee during the time of the Civil War. Anybody ever been to Murfreesboro? It's kind of south and east of Nashville. Whenever I go to Nashville for an international board meeting, sometimes we'll go down to Murfreesboro because they've got some really good restaurants. Well, this was a long time ago in 1862. And this man knew that the Union soldiers were coming into that region. And so he took his family fortune, mostly in gold coins, and buried the fortune because he was afraid the soldiers would steal his money. He went across the road into an open field, and he made mental notes of where he buried the family fortune. There were certain trees there. He, he dug up rocks and made a rock formation, and he buried the treasure, and then he hightailed it out of there. Years later, after the Union soldiers left, the man went back to dig up his treasure, but he couldn't find it. His family home had been knocked down. All the trees had been cut down, and all the rocks had been moved. None of the landmarks were the same. And the story goes that he spent the rest of his life looking for that treasure and never found it. 
Then in 1985, a man was up on that ridge in Murfreesboro, Tennessee with a metal detector. <laughs> and guess what he found? He found all of the gold coins. Well, some of that family was still alive, and they protested to a judge, but the judge ruled, finders keepers, <laughs> and you know the rest, losers. Well, that's the kind of story that Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 13. Here is a man plowing a field. The field didn't belong to him. Maybe he was a day worker, and he was plowing the field, and his plow hit something, and he dug it up, and it was a treasure chest. He was so filled with joy that he found this hidden treasure. He buried the treasure, went back home, sold everything that he had so that he could buy that field knowing that treasure was there and maybe hoping treasure was elsewhere. The whole verse revolves around the word joy. Those biblical scholars who are textual in their study says that joy is at the center of that verse. It all revolves around and pivots on the word joy. Thus the ideal, the translation, in his joy could be rendered, he became very, very happy. Are you getting the idea? Or because he was so happy, he went and sold everything he had to buy the field. Church, listen to me. This is a picture of our lives when we discover the Lord Jesus Christ. When we discover Christ, we find great treasure. And we are excited with a joy that will never fade away and with an exuberance that will endure forever. And that's the ideal here in Matthew chapter 13. And, and we can take these same ideals and relate them to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 because that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 4. When Paul uses the word treasure... In 2 Corinthians 4, he's talking about the treasure of knowing Jesus and the treasure of making Jesus known. And that's what the Christian life really is all about. When I was a student at Hillsdale, I, I heard Columbia Bible College's motto simply is to know him and to make him known. I wanted to go to Columbia Bible College because I love that motto so great. What a great motto it is, to know him and to make him known. Isn't that the essence of the Christian life? There is joy in knowing Jesus. There is joy in making Jesus known. And I think both ideas are interwoven into the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at the way this chapter begins, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1. Paul said, therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And that, my friends, is the theme of this passage. Through God's mercy, we not only have a Christian life to live, we also have a Christian ministry to do. God, in his mercy, has given us a purpose to fulfill. God, in his mercy, has given us a job to do. The implication Paul is making is, is like this. Paul, Paul is saying, you know what? I may be tempted at times in my life to lose heart. There might be times when I feel like giving up. You ever felt like that? I mean, life can be tough, right? And Paul says, there may be times when I feel like losing heart, but because God in his mercy 
has given me the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ and of making Jesus Christ known, then I absolutely will not lose my morale or my enthusiasm or my commitment. I'm going to be upbeat and I'm also going to be upright. That's joy. Look at the rest of the verses. Verse 2. He said, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preached is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So the subject of this paragraph has to do with working for the Lord and sharing Jesus Christ. Paul is is, uh, referring here not only to the treasure of knowing Jesus, but to the privilege of making Jesus known to a lost world. He continues that thought in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Oh, hang on. Let's do one of these. Y'all remember last Sunday, what we talked about last Sunday? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the what? You are the light of the world. We are light in a darkened world. What did did Paul say in in 4.6? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in your hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. So verses 1 through 6 say in summary, Paul says, We have preached and we have evangelized as plainly and as honestly as we know how. Day in and day out, we have shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if anyone has not received our message, if anyone has rejected our message, it is because the God of this age, the devil himself, has blinded their hearts so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. But God himself is able to make that light shine and to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, this light, this light from God has illuminated my own life. And Paul said, this is the greatest treasure I possess. The treasure of knowing Jesus and the treasure of making Jesus known. Think of it this way. Suppose you found yourself in this huge lighting gallery. It's kind of like a, a big, huge warehouse. All right, and all they sell in this warehouse are, are lights. All right, and there's all kinds of lights, uh, everything from small night lights to these big, huge, beautiful chandeliers that hang from the ceiling. There are floor lamps and table lamps and, and reading lamps. They're all there. Now imagine yourself being in this large lighting warehouse at nighttime, 
and there are no windows, and all the doors are shut, and it's pitch black in there. You can't see your hand in front of your face, but you know you're in a lighting warehouse. And so you grope around in the darkness looking for a switch of a lamp to turn on, and you turn a lamp on, but nothing happens. And you feel around, and you find another switch, and you turn it on, but nothing happens. And another, and nothing happens. Some of these lamps are not plugged in. Others of them have bulbs that are burnt out. Others of them have no bulbs at all. (laughs) And so you keep searching, and finally you hit a switch, and bingo, payday, the lamp comes on. It's only got a 25-watt bulb in it, though, and so it's not real bright, but it's light enough so that you can see, and you find other lamps, and you turn another one on, and there's more light, and another one on, and there's even more light. Here and there throughout the lighting warehouse, among the lamps, there are some that actually work. There are some that actually do what they were intended to do. They burn brightly in a dark room. They bring light to a dark room. That's the picture of your Christian life and ministry in this world. Jesus said it last week. You are to be a light in a darkened world. That's what we do. We are walking lights For a dark world in which there are many other lamps that are darkened by sin. Other people who have never heard Jesus or rejected Jesus. They may be beautiful lamps, gilded in gold, cost a lot of money. But what good are they if they're not doing what they were intended to do? And my friend, that's what God, why God made you. That, that is his treasure that he's put inside of you. The treasure of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. I love what the missionary E. Stanley Jones said. He said, when I met Christ, I felt like I had swallowed sunshine. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's who we are as believers. There's no joy in all the world like the joy of knowing Jesus. That is our treasure. Amen? The second word is clay, clay jars. But we have this treasure in jars of clay or in earthen vessels. I I said earlier that in biblical times when they didn't have banks, they would bury their precious possessions in the earth or they would put them or hide them in caves. And many times they would store these treasures in jars of clay. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You ever heard of those? Uh, These are are priceless artifacts, writings from the Old Testament that were found some 2,000 or made some 2,000 years ago, and they were discovered in some caves near the village of Qumran. These Dead Sea Scrolls were were found in this cave, and and they were placed there in these these jars of clay. The the story goes that an Arabian shepherd had his sheep out on this this hill, and some of the sheep were wandering away, and so he picked up a rock and threw the rock at the sheep to bring them back down the side of the cliff, but the rock missed the sheep and went into a cave. And, And a younger boy was there with the shepherd, and he heard the breakage of a clay jar. And he said, something is in that cave. And so he scaled the wall and he went in there and guess what he found? 
These old manuscripts of the Old Testament written some 2,000 years ago, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had been in this Qumran cave for almost 2,000 years stored in jars of clay. But jars of clay are fragile, aren't they? They're easily damaged. They're easily broken. And Paul is using that as an illustration for you and for me. He said, we, us, we are the depositors of God's treasure. Yet we are fragile and we are breakable and we are easily damaged. And I think every one of us in this room can identify with that, can't we? I mean, I don't need to spend any time on this point. No matter how strong you think you are or how stoic you try to be, you're fragile. You're easily damaged. You're breakable, whether it be physically or emotionally. And I would dare say there are some in the room today and you feel like a jar of clay that that has been chipped or cracked or broken. You feel like somebody's thrown a rock at you and shattered you on the inside. Well, the benefit of all of that is to keep us humble. You say, well, dude, I'm not getting that. I'm I'm not picking that up too good. Well, you need to because of point number three. What's the third word? It's the word power. You know, the Lord could have made us vaults of steel. God could have made us treasure chest of titanium. (laughs) But he didn't. He made us earthen vessels. He made us jars of clay. And he did so for one reason. Look at verse 7 again. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay... To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. It's God's power that keeps us going. It's not our own power. That word power is the old classic term that we get our English word dynamite from. And here is what Paul is saying. Since the all-surpassing power that fuels our life is from an external source, from God himself... We can be resilient even in the face of discouragement. You need to see this within the context of this passage. Look look at verses 8 through 10. Can we throw that on the board? Let's look at this. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, that, that you're just kind of pressed together. On all sides, you're being pressed, yet you're not crushed. We are perplexed. Anybody in here been perplexed this past week about decisions you need to make? Well, thank you. I stay in a constant state of perplexion. All right? We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, yet we're not abandoned. We're struck down, yet we're not destroyed. He goes on to say, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed where? In our body. Paul is saying it's God's power that keeps us going. Therefore, nothing short of God's power can shut us down. And so if you're trying to live the the Christian life and, and do the Christian work, I can tell you something. There is no place for discouragement in your life. We may be jars of clay, But we contain the treasure of Jesus Christ 
and His ministry and His all-surpassing power is flowing through us. Never despair. Hmm? Let me close with this story. One day, a long time ago, a farmer's donkey fell into a dry well. The farmer was perplexed because, number one, he didn't see how his donkey could fall down there, but the donkey did. And then he didn't know how he was going to get his donkey out. There was no way to get that donkey out from there. The donkey was bailing and crying and screaming, and the man was upset. And finally he decided the best thing to do, because this donkey was so old and feeble, he thought the best thing to do is just go ahead and bury it in the well. So he called his neighbors together, and they all picked up shovels, and they started, they started throwing dirt into the hole on top of the old donkey. The donkey was scared to death, and in fear, he started bailing out again. But then he settled down, and they just kept pitching dirt in there. And finally, the farmer looked down in there to see how it was going, and he was amazed at what he saw. With every shovel full of dirt that hit that donkey's back, the donkey would shake it off. And as the dirt fell below him, he would step up on the dirt. And before long, to everyone's amazement, that old donkey stepped out from the edge of the well and just trotted off, never to be seen again. I don't blame him. Sometimes we feel like we're being buried alive, don't we? That old devil... He's shoveling dirt on our back every day of the week. The world is shoveling dirt on our back every day of the week. Other people sometimes shovel dirt on our back every day of the week. Here's the trick. The trick is to learn how to shake it off, let it fall below us, and then step up on it. Literally, we can take our problems and make them stepping stones so that we become the people that God has called us to do. And the reason we are able to do this is because we are energized with the all-surpassing power of God himself. And he has put his treasure inside of us. The treasure of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. So church, can I tell you? Never despair. Never despair. Shake it off and step up on it. Never despair. Heavenly Father,